the good thing about focusing on the short end of the curve is that you know you still get that inflation protection of tips, but you remove a lot of the duration impact of longer-term bonds. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. While stock valuations are at all-time highs, we still have a ways to go for a substantial economic tailwind. For now, advisors have an opportunity to hedge against inflation and defend portfolios from volatility. In this episode, we hear from portfolio managers Alfred Lee and Chris Heeks, along with your host Mark Rays, as they get into the nuts and bolts of prudent strategies to prepare for the near term and keep your clients' long-term goals on track. Before we hear from our experts, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. Hello, and welcome to the BMO Global Asset Management Canada Weekly Insight ETF Call. I'm your host, Mark Rays. I'm the head of product for BMO Game Canada, covering ETFs and funds. We're joined today by Chris Heeks and Alfred Lee. Chris is a portfolio manager on our ETF desk, covering equity solutions and derivative-based ETFs. And Alfred is also a portfolio manager covering fixed income and preferred shares. So thanks to both of you for joining us this morning. Thanks, thanks Mark. Mark. Good morning. Morning. Great. Let's get started. For our first conversation, uh, we're continuing to see the growth trade dominate markets. And that's despite the challenges, of course, that we continue to see with the economy and with earnings. Can you comment on the challenges out there with P.E. ratios at this point in time, considering the economics of 2020, and then give us your thoughts on how that ties in on the sustainability of, of current market valuations? Um, to give it a real-world example, can you tie this into a discussion on the NASDAQ 100, which, of course, we offer under ZNQ Unhedged and the QQ as the hedge version? Thanks. Sure. Um, so if you look at the valuations of the market right now, uh, definitely scratched right now if you're looking at current P.E. ratios. Um, so whether you're looking at the NASDAQ or other indexes in general. Uh, but if you look at the NASDAQ 100, it's trading at a 40.2 times uh, current P.E. ratio, which is you know, the highest level we've seen over the last 10 years. So over the last 10 years, it's, it's averaged about a 20 times current P.E. ratio. Uh, but the NASDAQ is definitely trading at loftier levels when you compare it to the S&P 500. Uh, one thing to keep in mind is that the NASDAQ definitely is more growth-oriented than the S&P 500. Uh, typically, it trades at a 20% premium to the S&P 500, but right now it's trading at about a 25% premium. Um, a lot of this is definitely tech-related. Obviously, the tech sector has done very well um, over the last several months. Uh, the NASDAQ does tend to be more tech-heavy than the S&P 500. Um, but to your point, I think you know, if you're looking at current P ratios right now, uh, it's definitely a challenge. Um, obviously, with coronavirus having shut down the economy over the last you know eight to ten months, and a lot of companies have had very difficult times in terms of you know generating earnings. Um, so, if you look at current PE ratios, the challenge is that you know depleted earnings have really 
um, you know, washed out the denominator of that ratio. But when you look at the Fed's accommodative monetary policy, it's really inflated prices, which is, you know, further exacerbated, you know, that numerator and that PE ratio. So if you look at the market right now, it's, it's definitely trading off of forward PE ratios and not current PE ratios at this point. So, you know, whether prices can remain at these levels is really dependent on whether, you know, vaccines could be rolled out in a time to get people, you know, back out in the economy and feeling comfortable in, in going about their daily lives. Um, so the current distribution plan for the vaccine is obviously to, and rightfully so, to, you know, target the older population. Uh, but the bulk of the population that does a lot of the spending is, you know, obviously the rest of the population or the younger population in general. So the sooner we get the demographic, uh, this demographic, um, you know, out in the economy and the less holdups we have with vaccine distribution, um, you know, the quicker we could get these companies and having earnings growth, which is going to be obviously a positive for these companies. Um, so there's definitely a lot of companies within the NASDAQ 100, um, you know, that have, you know, current P ratios that are too high and, and, and probably not justified. Um, well, you know, a lot of these companies will probably see their valuations come off a little bit once we see an economic reopening. So you know, Peloton is a good example of this, where which has a current P ratio of 220 times earnings. Uh, so definitely not sustainable. Zoom is another stock that has benefited from the current work at home environment as well. Uh, but there's a lot of stocks within the NASDAQ 100 that you know could see significant earnings growth once the economy reopens. So uh, good examples of this could be you know, travel stocks like Marriott and Booking.com. I think these are very good examples that could see huge earnings growth, uh, especially because people have been cooped up for the last year and they're going to be willing to, you know, make up for lost time and, you know, hit up their favorite destinations. But, you know, even when you look at names like Starbucks, which is held in the NASDAQ 100, has a current P ratio of 106 times earnings right now. Uh, But when you look at the Ford P ratio, it's more justified at 34 times earnings. So, you know, when you look at Starbucks, people are definitely going to be more willing uh, to meet up with the friends and family um, once the economy reopens. Um, so it's definitely going to be, um, you know, those valuations are definitely going to be more justified when the economy reopens. Um, but I think if the economy reopens in a reasonable period, let's say midsummer, um, I think it's going to, it's certainly going to be uh, a lot of tailwinds for equities in general. Um, when you look at the Fed and it's committing to its current overnight rate, it's certainly going to push a lot of people towards equities, especially if we get, uh, the yield curve continue to steepen at this point. Um, so I think overall, you know, prices are definitely sustainable, uh, but it's definitely going to be key for the economy to open up in a reasonable am- amount of time in order for the earnings growth to uh, really, really justify these prices at these uh, at these levels. Thanks, Alfred. I think with all the, the stimulus coming in and, you know, some of those newer economy companies, you can certainly justify a higher valuation. It's just it becomes challenging at this point in time to really use PEs as that as that anchor, um, knowing what's occurred over the last year. So I think uh, looking longer term, they still look uh, certainly more expensive, but then you start to, to justify it a little bit more. Thanks for that. Let's uh, let's move on to to the next. Why don't you talk about? Uh, inflation and the fact that, you know, we really haven't seen too much inflation. And of course, uh, we know why looking back to 2020, the, the economy sort of collapsed downwards. But there is getting to be uh, a view out there on the potential of rising inflation, particularly when you think of, 
you know, the Fed's announcement last year that they're going to be monitoring it less as a cap and more as a as an average moving forward. Uh, what are your thoughts on inflation and how would you uh, think about that trade within the fixed income? Thanks. Um, well, I certainly think it's not too early to position for inflation. Uh, inflation is definitely a concern that investors have to start looking out for. And it, it's not so much inflation. It's, it's also reflation as well. Um, but we're certainly starting to see a lot of people kind of pre-position for inflation already over the last couple of months. So when you look at you know, certain TIPS ETFs that trade down in the U.S., uh, they've seen pretty significant new unit growth even you know, year to date. Uh, some of them have seen new unit growth in you know, the neighborhood of about 20 to 25%. Uh, but I think a lot of these concerns are justified. You know, we've spoke about a lot of concerns about you know, monetary policy and you know, supply and demand imbalances in, in recent calls. Uh, but just to quickly readdress some of these, you know, the Fed, as you mentioned, is you know, looking to target more long-term inflation and willing to overlook uh, short-term targets. Uh, we've also seen a significant growth in the balance sheet of you know, the Fed in the wake of COVID. Uh, but in, in terms of supply chain disruptions as well, uh, which we've talked about in the past, uh, we're starting to see the impacts of those in, in your everyday life. So, you know, for example, used car sales is a good example where we saw month-over-month uh, month sales jump in the neighborhood of 5.4% um, very recently. And that's the largest jump we've seen, you know, since 1969. Um, but a lot of this, you know, the, a lot of the shutdown in, in production over the last year um, has really caused a lot of the supply of new cars and it's taken, taken a lot of the new cars off the market, and it's forced a lot of people to look for used cars instead. Um, but, you know, now if the economy opens back up and we get people, you know, going back to the office or taking road trips in the summer, that's going to cause a surge in, in the demand for cars in general, which is further going to exacerbate you know, that supply and demand imbalance. Um, so that's just one example of one industry, but we're starting to see that in many other industries as well. So food is in the, uh, the food industry is a good example. Timber is one I often bring up as well. Uh, but you're right. When you look at CPI, I think it's it's been rather muted over the uh, over the last couple of months. Uh, but I I would say if you look at CPI, it's, it's more of a backward looking indicator. Uh, break even rates is more of a forward looking measure, I would say. Uh, so the current 10 year break even is about 2.2 percent right now. We saw the break even rate run up to about 2.7 percent uh, coming out of the great financial crisis. So there's definitely more room to run here. Uh, especially when you consider, you know, demand and supply is further out of line this time around. Uh, but in terms of fixed income positioning, uh, U.S. TIPS is a good way to hedge, you know, your traditional uh, fixed income portfolio from inflation or reflation risk. Uh, the problem, however, is that, you know, when you look at uh, the yield curve in the U.S. right now, it's, it's deepened significantly. So when you look at the difference between the 10-year rate and the two-year rate, uh, it's widened about 35 basis points since that Pfizer news alone. So, you know, managing duration risk for a lot of investors going forward um, is something they have to look out for. So I think the best way in terms of playing tips in, in your portfolio is, uh, you know, focusing on the short end of the curve. So ZTIP, uh, which is an ETF we launched recently, uh, it focuses on the short end of the curve. So five years, term to maturity or less. Uh, the good thing about focusing on the short end of the curve is that, you know, you still get that inflation protection of tips but you remove a lot of the duration impact of longer-term bonds. So I think if you look at short-term tips, it's far more complementary to you know, core positions like ZAG, uh, which already expose you to duration. So when you combine uh, ZTIP with ZAG, you don't necessarily have to double down on duration risk. So I think at this point, 
I think if you have a you know three to five percent position in ZTIP, it's probably more than adequate uh, at this point to protect your portfolio from you know the concerns about uh, inflation or reflationary risk in your fixed income portfolio. Great, thanks for that, Alfred. Uh, certainly, a great way to start to work an inflation protection trade into your portfolio using uh, ZTIP there. So, Chris, I know you've been patiently waiting. I'm going to come your way now. Um, you know, can you comment on the impact of markets from the slower than expected rollout of vaccines? Certainly, at a top level, uh, markets don't seem bothered by it, but I know under the surface, uh, you can certainly see a bunch of different things happening. Specifically, can you focus on factors uh, where you previously mentioned the beginning of a factor rotation, you know, kind of around the end of the year on the back of the vaccine news? Has that come to a halt or is that uh, continuing uh, to progress? Thanks. Yeah, uh, thanks, Mark. Thanks for the question. Um, you know, maybe that, that first one, um, you know, what, what are markets doing with the slower than expected rollout of vaccines? Um, you know, volatility, we've talked on the podcast over the past few months, and, you know, volatility is still elevated. So we're essentially at the market highs, and you have the VIX index over 20%. And if you look at pre-COVID, when we were at the market highs, the VIX was kind of like 10%. So, we've, you know, we've got a market where there's essentially twice as much volatility. Um, we'll probably come to that, and, you know, I'll come to that in, in a second when I talk about some of the ways to position for the market. Uh, but in terms of the factor rotation, um, I would not say it's come to a halt. It's, it's kind of maybe slowed down just slightly, but I, I don't really think it's come to a halt. Um, there's certainly concerns about uh, the rollout of vaccines, you know, particularly in Canada. Uh, the U.S. seems like it's on a good pace. U.K. is on a great pace. Canada, there seems concern, but Trudeau, um, you know, keeps, um, you know, reassuring that by September, you know, will be, you know, anyone who wants a vaccine will will have a, uh, had the ability to get one. So, you know, going off that that messaging, you know, we should be in a good spot. So, you know, we were talking about this. It's going to be a choppy year. You know, I think nothing surprising there. It feels like most years are choppy years. But where we're getting to at the end of the year, I think, is, you know, the majority through the vaccination. So from that point of view, you know, the factor rotation, you know, it really hasn't slowed down. You kind of look, you know, when we're and when we talk about this, you know, in particular, I think those first positive vaccine announcements in early November were really the trigger. First, it was Pfizer, then Moderna, and now AstraZeneca. You know, we've had a couple more even come along since then. Um, that really triggered a, you know, uh, a rally in some de- uh, depressed assets, some more cyclical assets. So, in particular, small caps, financials. Um, in, in, in November and December, small caps, so our Z small, um, relative to the S&P 500, outperformed by 12%. And if you look at kind of the last month, uh, it's still outperformed by 5%. So still on a good track with small caps there. You know, in terms of uh, factors, value has been the top factor this year. Um, dividends and quality kind of more in line with the broad market. But, you know, we do, I do expect uh, dividends you know, to benefit from that value factor um, and, and, you know, I think overall we're on a bumpy path. Um, but I think we have a sense of where we're going. It's just kind of a matter of time and navigating, you know, the supply chain issues and, and that, that kind of thing. So given the correlation between dividends and value, you know, if this is a good market for value. I think it's going to be a good market for dividends. You know, there's, there's some, you know, there's some market indicators that, you know, 
like you said, the market is somewhat shrugging off the vaccine rollout. And, you know, I, I do kind of think that that may be for good reason. Um, you know, don't look now, but oil is actually at $60 a barrel. And as we remember, I believe it was June, it was, it was a negative price. You know, you look at what's leading the market right now, energy, financials, discretionary and tech. So in general, kind of your cyclical sectors are outperforming. You know, staples, utilities, gold equities are are more flat. So, um, you know, so I don't want to sound like an, an exuberant bull, but I, I do think there's some positive trends that are, are working through um, this year. And, and, you know, Biden's stimulus package is going to be another uh, another piece to that and continued stimulus, um, as Alfred mentioned, is going to be is going to be a continued um, tailwind. So in terms of positioning, I think from a factor point of view, you know, quality has always been our base. You know, I think a quality exposure can address some of the valuation concerns in the NASDAQ that we were talking about off the top of the call. Um, you know, quality, we look for fundamentally strong companies. Um, many of those companies are tech companies, but again, the kind of tech companies that are being invested to are, are ones that are profitable, have low debt, have consistent earnings. So I see that as a more fundamentally strong tech versus a speculative tech. So, you know, still like quality as a base and, um, and, you know, I think dividends and value um, have that potential to, to add to return this year, you know, as we eventually navigate this reopening trade, you know, to answer your question, I don't think the factor rotation has, has halted. And I think it's just continuing to play out. It's just, you know, it's just not going to play out all at once. And just to kind of finally circle back, you know, high dividend covered calls. So a strategy that combines dividend as well as covered calls to monetize that high level of volatility, you know, and we offer that, as you know, Mark, in Canada, U.S., Europe, and globally with the ZWG, um, you know, I, I like those exposures to, um, to, to, to get, a, to get a, you know, exposure to equity growth this year, as well as drive a higher income stream. So that's how I'm looking at the market right now. You're listening to Views from the Desk, a weekly edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. If you're enjoying today's discussion, we encourage you to check out our deep dive episodes where we take you under the hood of BMO GAM's product suite. Tune into episode number 11 in the same podcast series where we take a deeper look at BMO Global High Dividend Covered Call ETF, ticker ZWG, a triple threat solution that uses options to grow the portfolio and manage downside risk. Clean energy is a thematic approach, which is getting a lot of tension in the market. From our most recent launch, we're actually seeing a lot of activity coming in on our new ETF, the uh, TLN or Clean. While new to Canada, there was considerable attention to, to clean energy in the U.S. in 2020, uh, starting with the, the big iShare ICLN. Um, you know, we've actually seen this get picked up in the Globe and the Mail and a few publications sort of lamenting the lack of product in Canada. Uh, but now here we are. What is your outlook on this space? Um, and how would you use it in a portfolio, you know, keeping in mind uh, that run up in 2020? Thanks. Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, it's, it's not often you find a hole in, in the ETF product shelf in Canada. As you know, we have more than a thousand ETFs to choose from. Uh, but the lack of a clean energy product, you know, as we were working through uh, what we wanted to bring to market, you know, last fall, this was a startling one. So if you if you look at kind of the trend to ESG in general, you know, I, I'd argue it's 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 for real, you know, <laughs> right now. 
Um, you know, ESG has been something that was talked about for years, um, but we didn't see the flows. You know, globally last year we saw 75 billion in ETF creations into ESG ETFs, and um, you know the biggest subsector uh, within environmentally focused ETFs was non-fossil fuel-based strategies. So they took in 10 billion last year, and they took in another six in January. Um, what's driving this trend? Um, again, like I say, it's this is a real trend. This isn't to be a spec, as, as much of a speculative trend as it perhaps had been in the year in, in years past. You know, um, Biden has recommitted to the Paris Accord, so that's carbon neutrality by 2050. You know, he's on the precipice of announcing a Green New Deal and the stimulus there. China has, a, you know, they're not meeting the Paris uh, target, but they have a 2060 target for carbon neutrality. You know, you look at the growth of renewables. Um, renewables surpassed coal in the U.S. Uh, last year, even under Trump. So I thought that was a pretty telling uh, stat. And the projection is for renewables to be 56% of global energy production by 2050. And right now we're at 13. So to get from 13 to 56, um, you know, we have a number that a $14 trillion investment is going to be required. Um, so it's a... Um, you know, we don't often think of 30-year time horizon with our investments, but but certainly I think the long-term trend is real there. We're increasingly seeing governments allocate stimulus to um, climate-friendly projects. We continue to see institutional investors um, tilt towards climate, um, you know, kind of more climate-friendly, ex- climate change-friendly exposures and using those ESG uh, indexes as benchmarks. So, I think it's a very compelling theme, and, and like you said, it's probably the reason why we're getting a lot of interest in, in our product. The way we brought it to the market, uh, we're, we're utilizing the S&P Global Clean Energy Index. Um, you know, and essentially, this is the global leader. It's the bellwether clean energy benchmark out there. There's more assets benched to this index by far than any other index. So we thought this was a really uh, great exposure to bring to our Canadian um, you know, base of clients here. Um, you know, in terms about the index, you know, the kind of high level thing I'd say is it's a very pure play index. Um, so what I mean by that is, for example, say you could have a mega cap energy company and um, let's say they have, you know, a small unit that does renewable energies. That's not the kind of exposure that we're looking to include in here. So what the, when I say pure play, really the company's held either produce or provide equipment for renewable energy. So think solar, wind, hydroelectric. And the top holding right now is actually a hydrogen fuel cell company. So these are very pure play companies. Uh, so it's, you know, it's a very exciting industry. You know, I think it's early innings, you know, in terms of this long-term societal trend that where we're going in say 30 years. Um, to your point, certainly the returns were uh, more than healthy last year, but I think we still recognize it's an early innings trade overall. You know, the way I think about using them in the portfolio, and I think about, you know, our whole launch is, you know, effective satellites. So whether that's the thematic innovation ETFs we launched or the covered call technology or the clean energy, you know, I'm thinking of these as, you know, they're, they're somewhat higher risk than the broad market, to be fair. But they also have that ability to really give you or give investors exposure to long-term themes and add return to clients' portfolios, you know, from a satellite perspective. So... Yeah, I mean, just to reiterate, you know, we think this, this you know, ESG is, is a real theme with real investment dollars moving behind it. Renewable energy is 
certainly an example of that. And, and uh, you know, we're really excited about the, the Z-Clean, CCLN to give investors the ability to access them. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. And, you know, really happy on the reception of that ETF out of the gate. So, so clearly there's a lot of advisor interest out there uh, in adding this type of exposure to portfolios where, again, they didn't really have a Canadian tool uh, up until this year. So with that, I would like to pause and see if there are any questions on the line for Chris and Alfred. Good morning, Chris and Alfred. Chris, I was reading an article this morning in the Investment Executive where you were speaking about ZWG. I think this is a new one, the uh, you know global cover call. You were speaking also about you know sustainability of dividends and ESG tilt. Could you expand on those two? How that one reached to this? Yeah, for sure. Thanks for the question. Um, yeah, that WG, which is our global high dividend cover call ETF, really does um, touch on all those all those key uh, metrics. You know, one thing we talked about the concern of PEs in the Nasdaq. You know, again, going back to blue chip and fundamental strength, I think is a good place to be. You know, when we find names to underlie this dividend based portfolio, uh, we're screening for you know, large cap companies with sustainable uh, dividend track records and also, you know, a history of positive or at least flat dividend growth. So we take the cutters out of there, dividend cutters. Um, so it's a very well-rounded portfolio. Um, gets investors exposure to kind of large blue chip, large cap blue chip companies with a dividend tilt. You know, as mentioned, uh, I think the dividend is an interesting theme to consider for 2021. Um you know, dividends and value, you know, did not perform all that well in 2020. So mm-hmm. when we look at what can potentially um, do well in a reopening scenario, I think, you know, looking at a well-rounded dividend portfolio may be a good place to go. And on the cover call side, you know, as, uh, you know, um, we're generating, you know, a solid 3 to 5% extra return per year through that option premium. So, um, again, utilizing the, the kind of rich backdrop of volatility, bringing an extra income stream. Um, so the total yield of this product, I believe, is in the 6.5% range. I think that can be an, an um, you know, efficient tool for investors to get global equity exposure you know, with an income stream and, and potentially you know, participate in a, in a rebound in 2021. Wow. Thank you, Chris. And I don't know, Mr. Reyes, if I could, but I'd love to ask a question also to Alfred Lee. Alfred, again, I think you guys are everywhere right now. I was reading an article this morning in the Investment Executive. I think you did something, a virtual forum on exchange-traded funds where you were speaking about ZES, your emerging fixed income fund. Could you expand a bit of this on how that would could help in terms of portfolio construction? Yeah, sure. So, you know, one thing we've uh, often brought up in, in recent calls is and when you look at the valuations of the market right now, especially in the credit space, um, when you look at areas like high yield, uh, credit spreads have really tightened since, um, especially since that Pfizer news. So, you know, if you are looking for valuation and looking for, um, you know, credit spread compression opportunities, I think emerging markets is definitely, you know, an area that investors should be looking at, especially for, you know, higher yielding, uh, higher income plays. I think, um, you know, in addition to credit spread compression opportunities, uh, when you look at the fundamental reasons for emerging markets in general, um, you know, one thing we've, we've often brought up is that over the last 10 years, you know, they've really transformed their economies in terms of, you know, getting away from just being commodity producers and, and being, you know, leaders in a lot of the newer economies that we've talked about, such as, you know, technology and all that stuff. So, um, 
you know, I think emerging market bonds is a good alternative for investors looking for yield and also for credit spread compression opportunities as well. Good morning. Uh, my question today is regarding mega trends and thematic ETFs. I was wondering if you could just explain the benefits of buying the MSCI innovation specific indexes versus some of the options that are already out there in the marketplace. Thanks for the question. Maybe I'll, I'll take a first crack at this. Um, you know, thematic investing is, is a trend that we're seeing, you know, investors really gravitate to. Um, it's something we wanted to, to come out with. But I think, you know, it's, it's, it's a way, the way we address it is, you know, I think in line with our DNA as an ETF provider, which is, you know, we want to give you exposure to the theme, but we also want to be well diversified, you know, have a really robust construction methodology behind that. So, you know, to answer your question, what you tend to see out, the, out in the market right now, the most successful ones, you know, south of the border, in particular, the ARC ETF, you know, are highly concentrated active portfolios. Um, you know, and while we can see the benefits of that at time, I think just, you know, for for us, I think what makes more sense is diversified. You know, you still get exposure to that theme, but a little more risk control around it. You know, higher, um, or I should say lower security weight caps. So we'll cap at a 5% weight in our innovation ETFs. And it's, it's overall, it's going to give you as an investor, you know, less volatility, still some exposure, you know, good amount of exposure to the theme. And, um, you know, I would, I would say it's a more sleep at night, you know, iteration of what's really popular in the U.S. So, you know, you know, at a high level, um, that's, that's what I see. And, you know, if you want to look at numbers, you know, the ARC ETF, the volatility is 50, you know, ours is about 35. So you can see, you know, it's a different philosophical construction, um, but it's one that I think, you know, um, you know, with MSCI and ARC as partners behind this index construction, we can really re rely on the robustness of this portfolio construction. One last question for you, Chris. Um, I was looking at the ZWT, the covered call technology ETF that was launched a couple of weeks back, and it seems like a great way to keep exposure to the sector, but, uh, you know, give a nice yield boost. So just want a sense of how you're running the options overlay strategy on that one. So, yeah, thanks for the question. Really, it's the same way we're doing the options on, on all of our covered call ETFs. Uh, the income target is 3 to 5%, and we'll use the volatility of the market to position our options as far out of the money as we can in order to, to achieve that target. Now, the technology companies are more on a more volatile range, you know, relative to, say, Canadian banks, for example. So, well, you know, we're, we're you know, um, well, on the initial trade, we got 5% yield. And the options are worth 15% out of the money. So I think one concern with tech is some investors might say, well, I want to have all my growth exposure with tech. I don't want to do a covered call. But, you know, I, my expectation is with the way we run the overlay, we're going to get the vast majority of that upside. So first, uh, we only cover um, half the portfolio with calls. So if there's strong growth, you know, half the portfolio fully participates. And then even on that other half, you know, with the volatility relatively rich right now, you know, those companies can go up 15%, you know, on a one-month basis before there's any kind of negative impact from the call. So, you know, my expectation is we're going to get the substantial majority of the upside, and it's going to be a really, you know, effective ways for, for clients to access technology as a theme and generate more income, which is something that's always been tough to do in the technology sector if you, if you have an income target as well. So we're definitely excited about that product as well. I'd like to thank everyone for joining us again this morning. Uh, we really appreciate your time. Uh, thanks for joining us. And of course, thanks for those questions. I'd also like to thank Chris and Alfred. 
Uh, we really appreciate your insights, um, some great views, not just on the market and what's going on out there, but as well on some of these newer ETFs, how they can be best used in a portfolio. So great to get thinking about those as well. So with that, just want to wish everyone a great day. And thank you once again for joining us. Thank you to Alfred Lee, Chris Heeks, and Mark Rays for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard the benefits of focusing on the short end of the yield curve to protect against inflation using ticker ZTIP, Z-T-I-P. From a factor point of view, quality remains a favorite, but also worth consideration is the high dividend covered call ETF, ticker ZWG. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes below, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. That's bmoetfs.ca. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio manager represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment tax or legal advice to any party. Investment should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statements that necessarily depend on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.